You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. If you would, turn your Bibles to the the Gospel of John. Gospel of John in verse, or chapter 13. John 13, we'll pick up in verse 31. If you would stand with me as we honor the reading of Scripture together. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, and now also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that as we approach it this morning, as we, as we look into it, Lord, I pray that you would work in a special way in our midst. That your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would soften them. Lord, we ask that, that as we approach a, a commandment that, frankly, we cannot keep, Lord, I pray that you would just help us with this, that you would guide us, push us toward the gospel, push us toward Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning seeing the greatness of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Coming off some vacation time, and I'm very grateful for that. A lot of things that needed to get done, uh, got a few of them done, cleaned the, the garage, paid for it with some, some allergies, uh, got a cough that's, that's hanging on, and, but it, it does look nice. We can fit more in it. We drove by a, a garage sale yesterday, and I begged my wife to, to stop because we have more room now in the garage. She didn't think that was a good idea. I am grateful for that. It was a privilege for me to, to be able to, to come here and, and worship on, on those Sundays and, and sit under preaching uh, that I don't get an opportunity to do that, especially in, when I'm here. And, and that was just a, a tremendous privilege for me, just some, some great uh, word from, from the Lord there. And so just very grateful for all of you for, for doing that. And as you know, Many of you know that the last 
Sundays of the, of the month at Bethel Church are communion Sundays. In this last year, we have been taking these last Sundays and we've been going through the, the proposed membership covenant. In fact, last year, tonight is our annual meeting. Last year at the annual meeting, we, we proposed this. We put it forward and we've been working through it and, and talking through it all of this year. And that time is, is kind of coming to a, a close here. In fact, uh, we, we went through it every bullet point in that covenant over the last year. And if you've read the, the pastor's report and the, the annual meeting packet, you know that this next year we're going to start a, another series on the last Sundays of the month, the one another passages in, in Scripture. We're going to deal with, with, with those, and we're going to start that this morning, actually, so it's going to be a, a very exciting time. We're going to focus our attention on what it, what it looks like to live in community together with one another. That's what we're going to focus on in our time of reflection before we come to the Lord's table. So I'm, I'm excited about this. And let me just share with you this morning then what we're going to do for the next uh, several minutes in, in our text. If, if you've... Um, The purpose for this series, this this one another series, is really a continuation of of what we've been talking about. And I think that's that's really important. Let me just share a little bit here how we're going to go about this today. For instance, uh, a series on the, the one another passages in Scripture of the New Testament sounds really good, but do you have any idea how many one another passages there are? It, it really depends on how you count them and what you count as a, a one another passage uh, and, and what you don't. Really, the, the words one another in, in English is one Greek word, alelone, and that word or variation of that word is used a hundred times in the New Testament, in 94 different verses. 47 of those are instructions to the followers of Jesus. It's interesting that Paul wrote 60% of those one another texts. Found those numbers on the internet and didn't believe them. You know, you don't believe everything you read on the internet, right? So I, I went into Logos Bible software and, and said, okay, I'm not going to get 100 here. And I didn't. I got 101 in the ESV. If we take all of these one another passages and put them all together, we notice a, a few things that are, that are really cool. First of all, one-third of those one another texts has to do with, with unity in one way or another. They're all commands that deal with the church getting along. That's a lot, isn't it? A lot of times that we're told here that as a church, you need to get along. An entire third 
of those one another texts, verses, is about love, how Christians are to love one another. So that's 66% of those verses that contain that word boiled down into two broad categories of commands. But not only that, we notice that about 15% of all of those references have to do with the attitude of humility that believers are to have concerning one another, how we relate to one another in humility. I would say just these three categories and saying that all of these verses about these things fall into those categories ought to be just incredibly convicting on its own, and we really haven't read a verse there. That we would need to hear about unity in the church and loving one another and humility on our part, that we would need to hear about those things that much, but we need to hear it, don't we? And the reason is, is because we all struggle in those areas. There's, there's, not, there's not that one person that has this figured out, that, that gets this right. When Jesus said in the commandment that we just read earlier, new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, Right there he's saying, I'm giving you a command that you cannot keep because nobody loves the way Jesus loved. I will say this, when it comes to this command that we all have a propensity to point out the lack of unity, the lack of love, the lack of humility in other people. You read this, new command I give you to love one another. And you and I, we automatically start thinking because we have this propensity to start thinking about other people who fail in those regards. They're commands. That's what we do with commands. A lot of times, first thing that doesn't come into our mind is ourself. We think of others who fall short much worse than we do. No, so-and-so, boy, he's arrogant. He's not humble. 15%. He's not nailing it. So we have the propensity to do that, to look out. We do that with commands. But then when it comes to ourselves, and eventually a command should, we still have the propensity to point at other people. Let me explain what I mean. In areas of unity or love or humility, these big, broad subjects. But if if we just take it and just grab one verse in there. So Galatians 5.13. Through love, serve one another. So clearly, from that verse, the way in which we love one another is to serve them. We have a propensity on one end to quickly note those who lack love because they do not serve one another. We point at others, we notice this. 
But when it comes to our own lack of service, in one area or another, we have the same propensity, which is to point at others and say something like, the reason that I don't serve in this way or that way is because of so-and-so. Or, you know, I, I really want to serve in this way. I really want to do this. But the, I just the people would not appreciate that. And we point toward a, a group. You know, the, the people who are in charge, they'd... They wouldn't like that if I, if I served in that way. So the reason that I'm not serving is not because of myself. The reason that I'm violating that command of, of service and loving one another in that way is because of somebody else's problem. It's an act of blaming or deflecting. It points at others and says that it is their fault that I'm not loving or living in unity or being humble in this way. And remember, those are three broad categories that contain a lot of specific commands, over 80 to be exact. So that's a lot of blaming, deflecting that we have a propensity for, isn't it? Is there room for growth here? Absolutely. So that leaves room for another category if you're doing your math. And we'll just call that an other category. And I struggle with that other category a little bit. It seems like we could take those other verses and, and fit them into the above three categories in one way or another, but we don't want to make things fit too nice and, and nice and tidy. Let me just give you an example of some of the verses in the other category. Uh, Romans 6, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, all give the instruction to get, greet one another with a holy kiss. See, right there, I'm guessing you've all pretty much failed this morning. First Corinthians 7, 5 gives instructions about husbands and wives and how they're supposed to treat one another. Galatians 6, 2 commands believers to wear, bear another, one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, comfort one another concerning the resurrection. James 5, 16, pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. In 1 Peter 4, 9, you get the point. There's several others. And as we just pointed out, there are, there are some, not only in this last category, but in the other categories, where multiple verses say the same thing or, or nearly the same thing. So as we go through these verses, we're going to look at, at each category, and then we're going to spend about three messages in each category giving special attention to repeated themes, which should give us a, a really good introductory picture to these one another passages. So now the question is, is where do we start today? I would say we start with the love one another passages. This is why. Because 11 verses basically say the same thing. More than 11 that tell us to love one another, but I'm saying these texts just use that phrase. 11. Let's just look at them briefly. All 11 of them. John 13, 34, 
we read this at the beginning, a new commandment that I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. A couple chapters later, John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you are to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. A couple verses later, John 15, 17. These things I command you that you will love one another. Paul picks up the theme in Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Peter picks up the theme. 1 Peter 1.22 Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. John, 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 4.7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Second John 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Let me just quickly highlight one thing that we see here regarding all of these texts to love one another. And it's really a simple observation that I'm sure all of you noticed as we were reading through them. There are a number of things that were very important, but notice here that John, Paul, Peter all believed that to love one another was commanded. Jesus said, this is a command. Then you get all the way to the end of the Bible and you have John saying, this is a command that we've had from the beginning. It was commanded by Jesus in John 13 and then reiterated over and over throughout the New Testament. So to love one another is commanded. Then you need to ask yourself, well, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, it means two things for us. First of all, loving one another is not optional. God commanded it over and over. It isn't a try better at this and you'll be good enough. It is a do this and live command. 
It also means, the command also means, that we are to love every believer. The one another is all believers. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Now here's the, the real question. What if we're not obeying this command? I mean, you could, you could like what we talked about earlier and say, well, I'm not obeying this command, but it's not really my fault. It's, it's actually the fault of other people. I'm not loving this person or that group of, of people over there because it's, it's their fault. They act this way. They do this. They're causing me not to love them. If they would only do this or that or be more lovable, then I would love them. But they're the ones making it too hard for me to be obedient to this command. Well, as as near as I can tell, the command itself in Scripture does not give us that out. That we only are to love people that make it easy for us to love. But the fact still remains, when we stop the, the blaming and the ball rests squarely in our court, and we admit that this is a command and that we are not keeping it, that that the failure to keep this command is a damnable sin and we don't want to continue to walk in it because we should never be okay with our sin, even when we admit that, the fact remains that we cannot force ourselves to love some people. Right? No matter how hard we try, we cannot do it. That's a rough piece of reality, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to tell myself, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to love that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to. So what do you do? You can try and try and you can put things into place in your life. You can take steps, you can try as, as hard as you can, but you're going to, you're going to fail. And you're going to be despaired. Let me give you some places to start. I'd like to, to say these are steps, but I, I don't want to say they're, they're not steps. First, we've already said this, but think about it. First, we must admit or confess that our lack of love for that person or those people is a sin. No more blaming. No more deflecting. The Bible says it. The first point here is to call a spade a spade. Sin is sin. When you harbor disdain for a person, Another believer, call it what it is. It's a sin. It's a violation of a command that is given over and over and over in the New Testament. Second, and we've already said this too, that Christians are not to be content to live in their sin. 
This is a violation of God's command. It is a sin for which Christ died. Romans 8.13 says it this way, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian and are content living in the flesh, Scripture is clear. You will die. Christians aren't content living in the flesh. When a Christian calls a spade a spade and says, this is sin in my life, they're not content with living in that sin. So third, this follows. If we confess this is to be sin, we don't want to live in it anymore, then we choose to love the other person. We say, okay, what's the, what's the result? What's going to happen now? Well, I'm going to obey the command. We choose to love the other person. I'm going to do it. I mean, it's kind of common sense. We must keep the command. But as we've already noted, even if we resolve to do this, we cannot control our own feelings. How can you make somebody not annoy you? See how easy it is to get back to the blaming, the deflecting? Yeah, it's a sin. I don't want to walk in it anymore, but it's not my fault. It's theirs. I know it's a command and it's a sin. Here's, here's the problem. Most people just leave it here. This command, this is, this is where they, this is where they stop. Yes, I know it's a sin. I get it. it, it it's, it's a sin. I don't want to be content to live in my sin. I hate this about myself. I've resolved to obey it. But that's the only thing I get from that is despair because I cannot do it. Every time I think I'm making progress, I fall short. And just things are worse. So fourth, we admit that in and of ourselves, we are too weak to obey the command. We're too weak. We're too weak to obey the command that God has given us, so we trust God to do what we cannot do. In Romans 7, Paul says this in speaking about the the Christian life in verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's exactly what we're saying here, isn't it? There are commands that we cannot keep. Paul said it plain as day in talking about covetousness. I cannot keep it. St. Augustine said it this way in a prayer. He says, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. Drove Pelagius nuts. But that's what we are saying It's what the Apostle Paul said too, that that we are to trust God to do in us what we cannot do on our own. Paul also said that when we are weak, we're too weak, he's strong. It's his power that's perfected in our weakness. It isn't about our ability. It's about depending wholeheartedly on the one who kept the love one another command perfectly and died for our failure and then 
when we trust him and his provision, he grants us strength to do what we could not do on our own. And get this then. Then when we do love someone, when we do love other people, it's not out of obligation. It's out of gratitude. Because it is impossible to love somebody out of obligation, isn't it? You can't, you can't love somebody out of obligation. When we can't do it and he makes us strong when we're weak. And then we can say with Paul at the end of Romans 7, thanks be to God our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks to him. Because he did in me what I could not. Fifth. This goes along with the dependence part. And of course all these are steps that aren't one after another. But I wanted to to say. And that is that we should be praying to God for our ability to love the person that we have deemed in one way or another, unlovable. We should be praying to God for the ability to love that person that we deem unlovable in one way or another. One clear sign of dependence on God is in one's prayers. Prayer is an act of trust. It's an act of reliance on God, not just a religious observance. Not just us saying, God, please change them. But it's God, change me. Help me to depend on you. Help me to to have the ability to to obey the, the command that you want for me. Six, even more practically, you might have to go to that person. Every situation is different, but if you've sinned against that person in any way, and not just in your own heart, then it would be right to confess your sin to that person. But another practical aspect here is that it is our tendency to avoid those who we do not love like we ought to love, so we continue to avoid them. And if we do that, we continue in our sin. So perhaps you don't need to go to that person for confession, but you also know that you can't continue to avoid them. Seven, going along with that. As the Lord changes your attitude, you change your behavior. Even if it's in your own heart. I remember once I was taking a microbiology class, I think. And in that class, there was a person for one reason or another just annoyed me. I I couldn't stand that person. Couldn't stand to be around them. I'd sit on the other side of the class just because I didn't want to hear them. And as the Lord softened my heart toward them, I chose to sit closer. I even chose to be in a lab group with them from time to time. I mean, we never became great friends or anything. We're just two people in a class. I don't remember their name. But when we're wrong, we're wrong. And where the Lord starts changing our heart towards somebody, then we take steps to change our behavior. Now, 
The church covenant that we have been working our way through acknowledges what we've said this morning. If you have that in front of you, just look at the first bullet. It says this, We pledge to walk together in Christian love. In other words, we pledge that we're going to love one another. But as we pointed out this morning, that is a command given by Jesus that we cannot keep. But yet, that's what we're going to pledge to. But it doesn't leave it there. It says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The covenant says, in essence, we're going to determine to do this because we're going to be people who depend on the Lord Jesus Christ doing us what we cannot do on our own. Isn't, isn't that a display of the gospel in community? I mean, I, I just think that that is absolutely beautiful. The covenant One of the greatest things in the Christian life is an awareness of the of what we call the active obedience of Christ. That during his, his earthly life, Jesus loved perfectly, and it is through the gospel that his perfect righteousness, his perfect ability to carry out that command, and that obedience to that command to love perfectly is applied to us so that we're not damned for our disobedience. But also, we're not left in our inability to carry it out, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to actually love as Jesus loved. That we're actually able to fulfill that command. Not to merit God's great, not to merit God's favor. Jesus Christ has done that on our behalf. but out of gratitude for what he has done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the church community is all about. That's what the Lord's table is all about, that our salvation rests not in our own effort, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. This is what is, was meant when Jesus said that the, the wine represented the blood of a new covenant. The old covenant said, do this and live. It was a covenant of, of works. Do this and, and live. Love perfectly like God and you will obtain eternal life. New Covenant says that the righteous demand of the law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus and by faith in him and his perfect, perfect righteousness imputed to you, you have every reason to stand in front of God. Because that righteous demand of the law is fulfilled on your behalf by Jesus Christ. And his righteousness is given to you. The Lord's table is a reminder of our inability to save ourselves and our total dependence and reliance on Jesus. And just in a minute here, we're going to have a, a chance to celebrate the Lord's table but we're also going to have a chance to, to individually commit to the membership covenant that has been in front of us, not physically like it is this morning, but it's been in front of us the past year, and we've cons spent considerable amount of time thinking it through. 
Now, I just want to be clear about what we're going to do this morning. What we're going to do this morning is, is individually commit to this covenant. We're going to say that this covenant is something that has been before me for the last year. It's something that we've reflected on. This is, this is how Christians are to live in community. This is a good thing to put into practice in my own life. This is a good thing to pray through and, and use in our church community. This evening, when we gather for the annual meeting and we adopt it corporately, there's going to be a, a difference. And what we are saying here is that when the agreement in question we're saying that the agreement in question is wholly biblical and whether the church adopts it formally or not, this is something that individuals that make up this community of faith should ascribe to. This morning, it's us on an individual level saying that, yes, I will commit to this, yes, I will make the agreement. This evening, we'll be as a church, in essence, saying, this is what it means to be a member of Bethel Church. So here's the implication If it is adopted tonight, and you're a member of Bethel Church, you couldn't say something like, well, I didn't sign it, but I'm a member, so I'm not held to the agreement. Does that make sense? Because the membership agreement will define what it is to be a member of Bethel Church if it's adopted tonight. This morning, we're adopting it in our own lives. So with that distinction in mind, it makes sense that we would as individuals commit to the agreement before we corporately do. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.